no, no, no. Hang on. Hang on. <laughs> this is not a good right, call. Ready? Welcome to the bite-sized edition of the StoryGrid Editor Roundtable podcast. Here on the Roundtable, we're dedicated to helping you become a better writer, following the StoryGrid method developed by Sean Coyne. In these bite-sized episodes, we'll serve up some shorter discussion on topics that interest us as writers. I'm Leslie Watts. And I'm Kim Kessler. On today's menu, we have the internal genres. My absolute favorite dish. So internal genres, by their nature, are not bite-sized. And Leslie and I know this because we wrote a series of three Fundamental Friday posts that grew from our hunger to understand how the heck to distinguish these things from one another. So join us for a quick bite of writing insight starting right now. The external genres feature concrete elements that you can describe with your five senses. But the internal genres, on the other hand, are much more difficult to see. We identify them by feel more often than not. They play out on an internal landscape with conventions that are often abstract and woven into external set pieces. As Sean would say, squishy. So it's kind of like the waffle brain versus the spaghetti brain analogy, which describes, you know, how different people organize information. In the waffle brain, each subject dwells in a separate square, work, family, money, love, sex, past, future, etc. Separate, clear, and tidy. But in a spaghetti brain, each subject is a single noodle. But guess what? All of the noodles are touching. So while the waffle brain, you know, receives a trigger and knows exactly which square to visit, the spaghetti brain could receive the same trigger, which lands on a noodle that then leads to all the noodles that are now touching that noodle, which then leads to all the noodles touching that noodle. Everything is woven together and connected, and it's nearly impossible to know which connections are necessary and helpful and which are just a byproduct of the density of subjects. One guess which genres are like the spaghetti brain. But, you know, despite their noodly nature, internal genres, like their external genre companions, are not arbitrary. They consist of specific patterns that evoke certain meanings from our collective human unconscious. These patterns have specific characteristics that we can leverage to create more meaningful story experiences. And for this, we have many story champions to thank, from Aristotle to Norman Friedman, Robert McKee to our very own Sean Coyne. Each of the main internal genre categories focuses on a particular element related to the protagonist. So this is the thread we use to try to sort them out. Status stories focus on the protagonist's fortune or misfortune, and more specifically on their willingness to compromise their personal definition of success. Worldview focuses on the protagonist's thought, in other words, how they understand their world and circumstances. But morality focuses on the protagonist's character, meaning their behavior and choices driven by their own moral compass and strength of will. These elements are not just labels and categories, but are both the cause and effect of a protagonist's internal change. The relationship among these three elements creates a clear cause and effect statement that describes the subgenre. But each genre contains elements of the other two. They're like side dishes, but one element is the main course. So let's take a closer look. 
Okay, we're going to start with status stories. Status stories arise from the esteem level of our human needs tanks. The protagonist is striving to achieve a higher level of social standing and must decide what they are willing to compromise, the way they define success or their inner moral code, to gain success. Now, each subgenre of the status genre turns on the life value spectrum of success and failure. So, Leslie, you studied these ones in depth. What are some of the key elements that you found in status stories? First is the mentor. And this is a vital component of the status genre. You're going to get a negative result if the mentor is absent or flawed. The level of thought is also important, and it needs to be sufficient to accept the advice of the mentor to even know that you need one. And their willpower needs to be sufficient to follow the advice of the mentor. So within this, we have opportunities and misfortune that happen in the external world. And then the climax, again, is focused on the definition of success versus the willingness to compromise their moral code. And one of those has to give. Also, when we reach the end of the story, the reader might feel pity, a sense of justice being served, relief or respect and admiration, depending on how the protagonist fares in their quest. So in the different subgenres for status, how do these elements play out to create those cause and effect statements? Right. So in the pathetic subgenre, which is kind of a sad title to put on the subgenre, but we're going to go with it for now, the protagonist fails to rise because they lack an adequate mentor as well as sufficient will and sophistication to avoid compromising their inner moral code. Now, the sentimental protagonist rises because they have a mentor and because they're sophisticated enough to take the advice and they possess a steadfast will to help them stay the course. The tragic protagonist fails to rise because lacking an adequate mentor and despite a strong will and sophisticated mind, they make a tragic mistake, the result of discarding their own inner moral code, and that dooms them to failure. The admiration protagonist rises because they refuse to compromise their inner moral code, relying on their mentor's advice, their strong will, and sophisticated mind. So that's the status genre. What about worldview, Kim? Worldview stories arise from our self-actualization level on our human needs tanks. They're about coming to a new level of understanding about something. In other words, we uncover a new layer of truth about the world. Unlike status, what the character experiences in the story changes how they think, and it may or may not change their external choices. And also, unlike the status genre, the life values of worldview are unique for each of the subgenres. Now, they all fall under the spectrum of understanding versus a lack of understanding, but they get more specific in life values, such as factual knowledge or belief and unbelief and sophistication or naivete. The key elements for worldview stories are that we have to have a protagonist who has a misunderstanding of the world at the beginning. And from there, they're going to experience a challenge to this worldview. Now, this could be a positive challenge, negative. It could come from a person. It could come from circumstances. 
But no matter what, it's going to create cognitive dissonance with whatever that original misunderstanding is that they have. Now, often in a worldview story, you're going to have a mentor that helps them metabolize this cognitive dissonance. And again, the absence of a mentor or a flawed mentor is going to mean that they're not going to be able to metabolize this cognitive dissonance. In the climax, they have to make a a choice, essentially, to either cling to their old misunderstandings or embrace the new, clearer understanding. Now, at the end, the reader might feel pity, they might feel relief or righteous satisfaction or pleasure, all of these depending on whether the protagonist comes to a more beneficial understanding of their circumstances or in the end, if the truth that they find is more negative. Great. So this is how those elements play out in the subgenres. For education, with the help of a mentor, the protagonist works through challenges to their initial naive or pessimistic view and comes to understand that their life has meaning or significance. In a disillusionment story, the protagonist faces challenges to their naive and overly optimistic worldview and lacking an adequate mentor loses faith when they realize a darker truth. In a maturation story, with the help of a mentor, the protagonist faces challenges to their flawed black and white view of the world, and they come to accept the world as it is, multi-layered and imperfect, to embrace better suited goals and actions. In a revelation story, the protagonist lacks essential information about themselves or their circumstances, and when doubts arise, they employ their strong will and sophisticated thinking to uncover a shocking truth, which prompts their future choices, whether wise or unwise. So next we're going to talk about morality stories. Morality stories arise from the self-transcendence level on the human needs tanks, and they're about testing the protagonist's inner moral compass, which leads to a change in their level of character. This is demonstrated in both thought and action, whether for good or ill. Each subgenre of morality turns on life values of selfishness and altruism, and it can span all the way from the negation of the negation, which would be selfishness masked as altruism, all the way to sacrificing their self for all of humanity, and then everything in between. Okay, so what are the what are some of the key elements of the genre? In a morality story, they require a protagonist that's going to be sophisticated and have a strong will. The mentor may not be present in the story, but they certainly existed in the past, which allows the protagonist to be at this current level of strength of will and sophistication. Having a protagonist at this high level of sophistication and strong will is a prerequisite for morality stories so that we can hold them accountable for their actions. Now, the protagonist is going to begin the story at some distinct place on that selfishness to altruism scale. They could begin high or neutral or low. And each subgenre is going to lend itself to a specific kind of starting point. Now, how the protagonists respond to these external or internal challenges will move them along that spectrum of life values, lower into selfishness or higher into realms of sacrifice. The climax is an active choice by the protagonist, either to remain selfish or to choose sacrifice. At that point, they will therefore experience justified consequences which will relate to whatever external genre the story is taking place in. Okay, so how do these elements play out in the morality subgenres? 
a redemption story is going to start off with a selfish protagonist that will then be challenged to help others and by the end will be redeemed through their sacrifice. A punitive plot is going to begin with either a neutral or even an altruistic protagonist who, over the course of the story, succumbs to selfishness. Think about the seven deadly sins. And by the end, will have received their just consequences. Now, the testing plot has two forms. We have testing triumph, where we have a neutral or altruistic protagonist who faces a challenge or opportunity that then tests their strength of will and their moral code. But by the end, they do choose sacrifice. In testing surrender, a neutral or altruistic protagonist faces a challenge or opportunity that, again, tests their strength of will and moral code, but by the end, they choose selfishness. So all that to say, now that you know about the internal subgenres, how do you determine what your internal subgenre is for your story or maybe the masterwork that you're studying? By putting them through what we've dubbed Friedman's Framework, because Norman Friedman was the first to identify the internal plots in his 1955 article, Forms of Plot. Okay, to distinguish the internal genre in a masterwork or your own work in progress, you want to ask yourself these questions. First, who is the protagonist? Then, what is their state of moral character and willpower? Then, are they sufficiently aware of the facts of their situation and sophisticated enough to understand the consequences of their actions? You also want to find out what is their position within society and the fortune or misfortune they experience. Then look at which factor in the story undergoes the biggest change. Is it fortune? Is it thought? Or is it morality or character. Then you want to look at how the reader feels at the end of the story. And once you've answered all of those questions, then you want to craft a cause and effect statement that will sound a little like this. When a protagonist with a particular level of character and will and a particular level of sophistication experiences external forces and changes for the better or worse, their outcome will be fill in the blank. All of this is just an appetizer. Leslie and I watched 12 films and analyzed them for cause and effect, life values, conventions, obligatory scenes, and we've detailed all of that information in the three fundamental Fridays posts that we wrote. But we also provide some delectable resources, including Friedman's Framework for each of the subgenres, internal genre elements, and much more. And you can find links to those posts and those resources in the show notes and also at storygrid.com. So one reason we decided to tackle this subject was to unravel our own you know, buffet of spaghetti noodles. And it's amazing what a little elbow grease and 12 masterworks can do. And for that reason, we wholeheartedly encourage you to grab a big old plate and dig in for yourselves. Watch movies, read books, find your masterwork, that one that will really help you nail your novel, and then study the daylights out of it. When you embrace this kind of deep practice, you internalize and you make that information real in a whole new way, and you'll begin to feel the patterns for yourself. And if you find you need help, of course, you can hire a StoryGrid certified editor to help you sift through and separate your noodles. You can do that by visiting storygrid.com editing. And if you want to connect with Kim or me directly, links to our websites can be found in the show notes. 
Well, that's it for the internal genre buffet today. Next week, we'll post our teaser trailer in which we share our topics of study for the first five films in season four of The Roundtable. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.